Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today for Friday morning, the 14th of April. A very good morning to everybody listening to us across the Resonate Broadcast Network through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longridge and 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. Good morning to you. Uh, so much to get through this morning on Rural Queensland today. A big, big show for everybody. We're going to catch up. Uh, with Tim Horan shortly, uh, LNP Senator, Senator Susan McDonald will join us, Peyton Fitzsimons, and um, we will also catch up with Louis Prada e Silva, who uh, will be with us this morning. So much to get through as well um, in catching up with what's going on at the ACA finals. Uh, there's been a lot going on there as well. It's the end of the week. Uh, the Dolphins, one half of football outstanding. South Sydney, too strong in the end last night. And obviously, gather round getting underway in the AFL as well. Big show. Let's get into it. It's Friday. Senator Susan McDonald. She joins us up next on Rural Queensland today. Friday morning and Senator Susan McDonald is our first guest on a Friday as usual. And um, obviously, there is so much to like about uh, what is going on, and some real dramas and challenges. Uh, we talk about that. Senator, good morning. Uh, how was your Easter? Oh, good morning, Ben. Uh, it was lovely. Got to catch up with my children, which is, um, you know, incredibly important when you're travelling around to be able to, you know, stop and, and spend some time with the people you love. The Easter Bunny didn't find me this year, though, so no, that was... Me neither. That was yeah, yeah, me yeah, neither. Shocking stuff. <laughs> Senator, um... We spoke to you last week and you were en route to Burktown um, and to the devastation of what had gone on with these floodings. We, we actually haven't had time to, to, to go back on that. How was that when you finally got on Ground Zero? Well, Ben, it was, it was uh, nearly three weeks since the floods when I got up there and I have to say I was um, horrified on what I discovered, which is that this has been the forgotten flood. This has been a flood that has gone through uh, at higher levels than ever recorded before, roughly 250 kilometres wide, 250 kilometres long, uh, just wall-to-wall water. Three metres of water went through the Tirana Springs Roadhouse. Uh, the cattle stations uh, that were just inundated, um, uh, you know, young people who work on these places who lost all their gear, their their car, uh, tens of thousands of head of cattle um, that are littered through trees and on fences. Uh, it was, it, this has been a devastating uh, flood. And yet, and yet, despite, um, despite the government buddy feeding it into, into Scott Morrison and, and the government when we're in, uh, have been completely absent. The Prime Minister hasn't been up. The Premier hasn't been up. Uh, people have been pulling out the walls of their own houses, uh, cleaning out the mud, doing everything themselves because nobody turned up to help. And uh, it is only going to be today that Q Rider turns up to start trying to provide people with uh, the grants that are available. People, because um, Burktown is cut off for two months every year, regardless of floods. People lost all of their wet season food, you know, thousands of dollars, but they, you know, they found it really hard to find out who to get help from. Anyway, there's, there's, this, this, is, this is not impacting thousands of people the way it did in, in Lismore or Sydney or southeast Queensland, those floods. This is, it's a limited population, but over a huge area. 
and no buggers turned up uh, from the government to, to try and make life a bit easier. So they are getting on. You know, the mayor, Ernie Camp, um, uh, the, all, the, all the people who are living in town and the stations, they are sorting themselves out. But it, I, I was shocked and just devastated to find out that if you live at Burketown or somewhere up that road, uh, nobody in Canberra knows where you are and nobody gives a bugger and it is not good enough. And so I'll be driving hard. We need to have some improvements in the infrastructure up there, some uh, bridges that need to be lifted, roads need to be sealed, uh, and places like Tarana Springs where we've got a fantastic young couple who are really having a crack and what? providing a business and a service. They need to be helped to get back on their what, feet. What, why, what, why has this not happened? Um, I, it, what, it, what, what, I understand it, how, oh, not isolated, that's the wrong word, but how far away it is from mainstream news. But surely we've helped far less in other nations. We have, we have gone to the aid of other countries for far less than our own. What? Why? What, I, I can't understand it. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head, Ben. There's no cameras out there. Uh, Burketown's in Kennedy. It's it's not a seat that that the government cares about. That you know, Labor's not looking at that. I mean, Stephen Miles, the Deputy Premier of this this state, flew up, was so arrogant and and uninterested in what had happened, and after an hour and a half, flew off and in his jet did a flyover of impacted communities. I just, I, it is beyond belief. I'm, I'm happy to say that David Christofuli and Anne Lay and, and the um, LNP team in Queensland, they've all been up. They've spent days up there um, trying to get assistance for people and, and uh, talking people through what's, what's available for them. But, you know, truly, this is just a, a national disgrace and I will not let the government forget how they've abandoned far north Queensland and their time of need, this big cyclone's running into northwestern Australia. You know, I'm very, very concerned that they may get the same uh, ordinary assistance because it's so far away. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense as well. Um, mate, tell me this. Um, it, that, that, that's really disappointing. I, I'm concerned about the yes vote um, and... The LNP have come out and said that they won't be supporting it. And look, we've had obviously people leave the LNP. There is a lot of division, and and in a lot of ways, I feel this is what the government actually was wanting. Um, there's no winners out of this. I, I I I am the biggest believer in supporting the Indigenous Australians, and and the wrongs that have been had will never be able to be healed, no matter what. But this seems to be decision-making on the fly by the government. It seems to be one hand's not following the other. And I, I think it's a dangerous sphere to live in. And that's not in any way saying that um, I might not be for it, I might not be against it. But it is just an absolute dog's breakfast the way that they are pushing this at the moment. And I don't think anybody fully understands exactly what it is that we are voting on later this year. Well, Ben, that is exactly the point that I'm trying to make, is that I heard some commentators speaking this week saying that the proposal for the voice uh, under Labor, that the change to the Constitution and the legislated voice is a modest proposal. 
Now, this is not a modest proposal. A modest proposal would have been legislating the voice. It certainly wouldn't have been the constitutional changes that are being proposed. But be clear, Labor has thought this through. What this does is an incredibly divisive uh, project and they are uh, making sure that in inner cities, uh, inner city seats right across Australia, they are ensuring that the uh, people who, who, who do, who do desperately care about Indigenous Australians, they have no idea of what to do but this allows them to stop feeling guilty about what's happened. And so they're playing, Labor is playing on that emotion. Uh, and instead, what I'm trying to say to those people is that the voice is a sellout to every Indigenous person across Australia. Well, if you listen carefully, regionally they're saying, we don't want this. We need uh, assistance on the ground but we do not need 24 elites appointed to, to run the show for us when we want, we need genuine uh, outcomes and change out here in the bush, in the regions and in remote Australia. And we know that the, the voice is not going to work for that reason because we watch what happened in uh, Alice Springs in, in the Northern Territory with the cashless debit card and the alcohol restrictions. Those communities were screaming out please don't take them away, don't lift the restrictions. And yet nobody listened because from Canberra, uh, the smart bods said, no, no, we know what's best for you. And that is what the voice is going to be on steroids. So, you know, Labor is very calculatedly dividing up Australia and, and making sure that these seats, these electorates in city-based places um, are, are never going to vote uh, for the coalition for another generation. This is yeah. about dividing and keeping power. And I think we have to be clear about that. Uh, but the voice is is absolutely a very, very divisive um, idea and it is not going to deliver for the people that I talk to in far north Queensland and western Queensland. It's going to be more bureaucracy, thousands more bureaucrats, um, big budgets, uh, lots and lots of meetings but the things that could be happening on the ground will once again be lost because, you know, we've, we've taken the opportunity to have that money, those people focused on the ground, and instead they'll all be sitting in Canberra, reading through briefs, providing advice on RBA decisions and uh, defence spending and, you know, really anything that that group decides that they want to have an in, input into. So, Can I ask you, this, was this mm, at all... Part of you know Albanese's plan when he when he was running for for prime minister was this ever mentioned was was this even muted at all by the Labor government? Oh, I think we add it to the list of things that Labor didn't tell us they were going to introduce. Um, they didn't tell us they were going to introduce the the market intervention into into the gas market. They uh, didn't tell us about uh, some of the, the childcare changes. They didn't tell us about the um, the, the nursing home changes. There is a, a long list of things that Labor has neglected to tell uh, tell the Australian people about what they wanted to do, what changes that they wanted to make, and we're getting it. You know, we're getting it by the shovel load. So, no, I don't ever recall a conversation about this. But maybe I'm wrong, Ben. Maybe there yeah. was. 
some reference in some speech somewhere, but certainly to, to understand what they're proposing to take to a referendum, um, that the way they're doing it, it is so divisive, it will leave Australia scarred, whatever the outcome is. And, uh, and I think they're being very disingenuous the way they're going about it. No two ways about it. it it's, that's going to be interesting. We're going to take a break. Susan McDonald is our guest this morning. This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. Uh, it's Friday morning, the 14th of April, and Senator Susan McDonald joining us, uh, a usual guest on Fridays, and we're very lucky to have her on uh, the show. Senator, obviously... There's a lot going on, but the the talk around maybe trade relations with China improving, it's early days, I know, and I'm sceptical because we've seen what they did, but there is some high-level discussions going on. Where do you sit? Is this a thing that could be a possibility? Well, you know, we're cautiously optimistic that there will be an improvement, uh, particularly in the barley trade, uh, something that was devastating for Australian farmers when they lost uh, so much of that trade and had to very quickly pivot to find other markets that were equally well paid. And very happily, they were able to do that. But I, I think there's a big lesson that came out of it from, from China, the impact on the rock lobster market, the live coral, tra- coral trout market, uh, the, um, the impact on beef, on wine, uh, on coal, there have been a whole lot of, of trade deals that, that were um, either shut down or paused, tariffs in, involved uh, by the Chinese that have been incredibly damaging to uh, Australian farmers and producers. So I'm optimistic that there will be uh, some more trade available, but I think that the lesson we should take away uh, from the last few years is that we cannot put all of our eggs into one basket. We have to be very cautious of dealing with a client who, without notice, might leave you hanging high and dry. And that applies to, to uh, all the investments uh, that we are seeing um, from China. The Chinese people are terrific people, but their government is, uh, can be unreliable. And we're seeing what's happening with the uh, threatening costures with uh, Taiwan, we want to see the status quo there. We want to see our geopolitical region in the Pacific stay stable. And so whilst we welcome and embrace more trade opportunities, more good business opportunities, I think we have to be very alert to the fact that we, we have to be more cautious uh, and spread our trade around. Oh, that's countries. been very clear. And, and there's been no two ways about it. That That has been... One of the real messages that I think we've learned from this is that no matter what, we, we cannot be aligned just singularly because for the wine industry and many other industries, um, the minute the tariffs hit, um, they were left high and dry. And so to spread the wealth and to spread obviously what's going on a little bit more uh, would be far greater and I think it's going to be beneficial long term. Mm, I agree. I agree. So... You know, I, I think Australian businesses and farmers will will be thinking about that as they, you know, decide who is going to receive, you know, the best food and fibre that we have, the uh, mineral products that we have to think about what that uh, what that balance is. But I will just flag one thing, Ben, that the intervention into the gas market 
uh, and the, the subsequent impact it's had on investment for development of new gas of critical minerals in Australia has been really profound. A lot of investors uh, are looking at Australia and they're saying, you know, we're not sure about putting our investment dollars here. Uh, ju- it's just too unstable. We don't know what the playing field is, what the goalposts look like, so we're going to invest offshore uh, in the US. Um, in South America, in other yeah. projects. Now, that wouldn't be so bad, but if you're only left with one investor in critical minerals and gas, and that's China, we have the, the same effect as putting all of our eggs in a trading basket with China. So, mm. you know, we need to follow what's happening with the, um, uh, the Foreign Investment Review Board, the decisions they're making, because... Uh, we can decide. We can decide all of these things, but we need to be alert to it. And, you know, there's going to be some, some tough times ahead while, you know, Labor has scared off investment from our usual trading partners uh, that we don't, again, put all of our eggs into the Chinese basket and then find out that all of the critical minerals, uh, all of the manufacturing uh, is all flowing. Uh, off to China where, uh, you know, because we've supplied them with the materials and not supplied it to our AUKUS partners or our Five Eyes security partners. You know, we have to be very alert to what's going on in the world at the moment. Yeah, well said. Um, You've been with the French military this week, um, you know, on a lighter note, which has been wonderful for you. Oh, it's been a lot of fun. The French have had a uh, one of their ships out there. I've got 160 cadets that they're training on this trip, sailing from uh, from France uh, out to Australia and back again. Uh, they hosted um, a lot of the the uh, town civilians, uh, and we had a lovely night on the on the ship. You know, experiencing French, uh, the best of French food and wine. And then the next day was more solemn, and we laid a wreath to commemorate the 56,000 Australians and over a million uh, young French people, the flower of the youth of both countries who lost their lives in the Great War uh, over 100 years ago. So that was that was a, a very poignant morning while we remembered that. Uh, but it was it was lovely to, to uh, join arms across the sea to talk about what should be a continuing partnership for Pacific stability. And, um, and, and that was a, you know, a very interesting morning, and I, I think they're getting over the submarine deal. Uh, I think that they're moving on uh, as we are. We need to remain, remain, uh, uh, you know, allies yeah. in the in the world as it changes. Oh, there's no two ways about that. Have a great weekend, um, and no doubt, uh, lots going on for you. Appreciate your time as usual uh, on this Friday morning, Senator Susan McDonald. Great to chat, and we'll talk again shortly. Thanks very much, Ben. See you next week. We'll take a break, come back. This is Rural Queensland today. Senator Susan MacDonald, and gee whiz, she's doing a fantastic job in Parliament. And there is some real issues um, moving forward, uh, and we will keep you abreast of them as it all unfolds. This is Rural Queensland today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It's Friday morning, the 14th of April. Um, There's no two ways of sugarcoating this. The Reds have probably been a little bit disappointing this year. Uh, they obviously play Moana Pacifica tonight um, and a real opportunity for them um, to try and get back on a winning sort of trajectory. Um, it's going to be hard. Um, there's no two ways about it. Tim Horan is a Wallaby and Queensland Rugby Union great. He joins us this morning on Rural Queensland today. Tim, good morning, mate. Um, 
gee whiz, the Reds have had some dramas. It, 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 look, I'm not a bagger by any means. You, you want to see rugby in Queensland bode well, but they just haven't clicked this year. Plenty of talent, just things haven't gone to plan. Yeah, morning, Domo, and morning to all the listeners out in the country areas around Queensland. It's um, nice to be on the show, mate. Yeah, it's a challenge for the Reds and, and also Brad Thor, as coach too, of course, who, you know, he's been under enormous pressure, probably not just this season, probably the back end of the last season where I think they only won one out of the last six or seven games. So but I think it's probably time for the players to stand up and, you know, hearing Tate McDermott and a few players this week saying, well, it's probably not about the coach, Brad Thorne, anymore. It's about the players having a bit more accountability and, and the players trying to find a way to win over in uh, Arpia, over in Samoa. Well, I mean, that, that, that's the big, the, the big thing, but the, the noise is getting louder and louder. Do they make a shift or will they wait to the end of the year? Well, I don't think there's any point making a shift now. I just don't see what that uh, really can do for the players and the team and, and have they got the right coach there. You know, Mick Heenan, who's a former University of Queensland head coach for the last 10 years, has obviously come in as assistant coach to help Brad Thorne out. And it just the, the attack just looks clunky at the moment for the Reds. And, you know, to take McDermott was brilliant last week, individual try, but... You know, they're trying to find those combinations and I think the, they probably the Reds didn't realise how much they were going to miss Taniela Tupo, of course the front rower who yeah. ruptured his Achilles at the end of season two for the Wallabies. He's not back. Hunter Paisami out for six weeks plus with a pretty severe sort of knee injury. So those two players last couple of years gave the Reds so much momentum and so much advantage line opportunity to, to play off the back of. So big losses for them. But good to see you know Jordan Pattaya playing well. He's finally over a lot of injuries and, and playing some good footy. The the opportunity, and it's a significant night tonight um, for the Reds, um, but more for Moana Pacifica playing at home. Um, th- that does provide a, 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 a far more difficult task for the Reds than whether or not they were playing at Suncorp Stadium. Yeah, it'll be a packed uh, stadium at uh, Arpia, which is, of course, the capital of Samoa. And really the first time that Moana Pacifica have had an opportunity to have a home game. And we've probably seen most of your listeners, Dobbo, would have seen, you know, Fiji and Drua um, and the home games that they've had in Suva or, or any places around Fiji. And I think it's great for the game. And it allows, you know, young boys and girls in Samoa to look up to these guys and go, gee, I'd love to play in that sort of competition at some stage. So it gives them a platform to do that. And it'll be a tough one for the Reds um, tonight, but uh, also the Brumbies sitting third place at the moment. They play tomorrow night in Canberra against um, the Fijian Drua. So that's a tough one for them. And of course, then the Waratahs will play on Saturday night in Sydney against the Western Force. So a couple of good matches and some of those teams need to probably stay in touch with the top eight. Yeah, you, you did right. Can I can I ask you? There's been obviously Eddie Jones has named his first World Cup squad uh, already, and and that they and that there have been some notable omissions, mainly from Queensland. Is that more a reflection on the way the Reds are going, or is that just the way? Is that to motivate the Harry Wilsons, the Tate McDermotts, and the likes of? Uh, it's a bit of both, Dobbo. Um, knowing Eddie Jones as well as I do, he, he'll want to have a look um, really closely at a couple of players. So people like Brad Wilkin from the Rebels, um, Ben Donaldson from the Waratahs, those type of players, he wants to have a bit more of a closer look and start talking to those players. Um, and then it's 
he knows what Tate McDermott can do. He knows what Harry Wilson can do. I think the biggest concern for those players, not in the first squad, is if you're not in the second squad towards the end of Super Rugby, that's when you've got to start to be worried because I don't think that'll change too much. And There's plenty of players to come back from injury. Of course, Quade Cooper, yet, is still coming back from his Achilles um, injury and he seems to be running pretty well. So a lot of players haven't been selected, one, because of injury, two, because... Eddie Jones picks 33 players. I think there's 34 that go to Rugby World Cup. So the challenge for Tate McDermott's going to be is does Eddie Jones take three halfbacks to a Rugby World Cup? So um, I think the first squad is just a squad. Eddie wants to look at players. He wants to talk to people like Carter Gordon from the Melbourne Rebels who's a fly half. And I think the biggest position, we just we don't have a number 10 at the moment. Um, right, so who's your, who's your pick at the moment? Well... You know, does he go back to Bernard Foley? Does he go back to Quade Cooper? Um, I mean, Quade Cooper's 34. He's going to be 35 at the Rugby World Cup. So is it just a smash and grab opportunity for Eddie and the Wallabies? Or at the moment, I know a lot of Sue, who I think is the best fly half in Australia, uh, is not selected at the moment. So Eddie Jones wants to see him play better, take the ball the line a bit more. I think I think he's the number 10 if Eddie can get some more confidence from him. Yeah, well said. Um, give us your tip. Can can um, can can the Reds win tonight? Oh, I think they can, Dobbo. Yeah, they've got a good good team there, and it's going to be it's going to be a tough one away from home. But gee, I tell you what, they've got to try and get a win somehow, and stay connected to this top eight. Um, otherwise, you know, it's going to be a pretty tough end of the season. And the Brumby should be too strong, and I think the Waratahs too strong on Saturday night in Sydney. Yeah, I I agree with that. Uh, Super Rugby is alive and well, and all thanks to Stan Sport. Um, you can watch it on Stan Sport. Uh, Tim Horan, a Reds and Wallaby great. Really appreciate your time on Rural Queensland today. Uh, thanks so much for being with us, and he's hoping we get a better result this weekend. Cheers, Dobbo. Good on you, Rural Queensland today. We'll take a break, come back. Peyton Fitzsimons from Ray White Rural, the National Livestock Manager. He'll join us next. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It's Friday morning, the 14th of April. Uh, Peyton Fitzsimons is the National Livestock Manager for Ray White Rural, and he joins us this morning. Um, it's a Dolby show holiday today. Um, these holidays are causing everybody havoc with the markets, and Dolby have their show holiday. So watch his tools down today, mate. Well, mate, if there's any bloke on the air that knows all about tools down, I grab a dag with dog. I'm talking to him. <laughs> I'm off them, in fact. Uh, my cardiologist has warned me off them. I used to love them. There's no two ways about it, but no. Are you, are you my, suggesting that you've finally taken some good advice? <laughs> oh, in some areas, in some areas, it's been it's been quite, it's been a long time. Hey, listen, um, it is causing havoc. The show holidays, the short weeks. We saw eighteen hundred Roma, Dolby. You know, equal around that and. It's hard to get a gauge on the market. It, it, it can have a it can have a different effect in the sense that there can be some shortages and those short weeks can create a little bit of demand. But at the moment, this job is just sort of teetering at this present moment, um, this prime job. Where do you see it um, away from the sale yards at the moment? Yeah, Ben, the, uh, obviously the public holidays and those short weeks. One thing we can say is they don't come to a surprise to anyone like they have been the bear in the calendar every single year. So you know, all the good operators always market their cattle, you know, not necessarily, you know, throughout up those, those weeks where, and especially prime cattle-wise, uh, those weeks where there are the, uh, the, you know, the short weeks. But interesting you say, Ben, like at, at, at Roma, like Roma was stronger again today, uh, this week for the, the cattle that was there. Um, I did Dolby on Wednesday. 
a very a very good yarding of light cattle. Not a uh, not a great yarding of, of export weight cattle, but uh, you know the best of the cows in Dalby, you know, making me sort of two sixty five, two sixty eight. Mate, I know out in Blackall in the old stomping ground yesterday, there was only a small penning of cattle out there, about twelve hundred cattle, and the best of the big heavy cows out there made uh, made north of two dollars seventy. So there is just a little, you know, there is a little bit of a gain in those cows, like the best of your cows two and three weeks ago weren't making that. So in the short week, that is a little bit of an encouraging sign. And no real numbers of feed away cattle being, you know, you steer for 400 to 480 kilos, not a lot of them in the market. And there has just been a few, you know, director food lot quotes come through the yeah. last sort of 24, 48 hours. And they're a little bit better and, you know, a little bit dearer than where they were a fortnight ago as well. So a little bit of positive ground there. And, 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 and that, that obviously bodes well moving forward because there will be some cattle starting to come, and there always is, um, towards the end of the financial year, and then they have a bit of a spell. So obviously a lot of people um, just trying to actually see exactly where this market is and get a gauge. Feeder job-wise, it, it, it's got dearer, no doubt. Correct, mate. It has. It, it's got. It's got dearer the last. The last week, as I say, those director feedlot quotes have, have shifted a little bit in the last week. Uh, obviously, mate, as we as we all know, grain prices are the uh, are the absolute barometer of that job, and that, that grain prices are only heading north at this stage. Like there hasn't been a decline in, in grain prices, so you just watch this space as the as the winter crop. Um, you know, is in the ground, and you know. Is, what, uh, when it does get harvested and see how much quantity is there, you know, the, uh, the price of grain is going to be you know, very paramount to our feed away cap. Yeah, well said. Now, mate, um, New South Wales has always been a fair gauge. Big sale in Tamworth today. Um, but overall, how have those big wiener sales been the last couple of weeks? Seasonally, it's very good at the moment. Yeah, mate, it, it is. It has had to turn around very quickly. Obviously, they're, uh, you know, they're coming into winter now. Uh, the rain that they had down there two and three weeks ago that's enabled a lot of fellas to get their oats in, and obviously for the for the winter months in the southern regions, that's um, that you know that's the king is to be able to get that oats in. So there's going to be some uh, you know there's going to be some pressure taken out of the market number wise, you know, particularly because of the crop that's going in. Um, some of those big sales there, I know there two weeks ago, where the, you know, two and three weeks ago, when there was a lot of numbers in the market, look, those sales did hold up remarkably well. However, they were yeah, they were very lucky in one aspect that they did get rain the week leading into them. Um, so that's you know that propped that job up. If that rain hadn't been there, we might be talking about a different scenario now. Yeah, and and that's that's the thing as well. Property wise, um, there is a lot of movement. There's a lot of properties coming on the market, um, and we're seeing sustained rates for the right places, but. The, the highs have gone out of it. There's no two ways about it. Talking to people um, throughout the downs the other day saying that ridiculous money just at the moment, it has to be bang on the right block. The, the second tier blocks just aren't making um, first tier money like they were over the last couple of years. Yeah, there's still there is still right throughout the array white rural network. There's still good inquiry for properties and and you know, of of all sides and magnitudes. But as we always say, the blue ribbon country in those um, in those special areas and those special properties are still very well sought after. And the, the inquiry for the um, for the marginal country has just slipped away a little bit. However, however, it only slips for a little bit where it can actually stimulate a sale very nicely, where the job will just cheapen up a little bit. 
when it does cheapen up a little bit, it becomes affordable for a whole wide array of, of buyers. They all come into the market and they can actually stimulate the job and make it dearer than it previously was. So, yeah, where you do see some inquiry for some places just falling off, it can have the reverse effect. Yeah, well, it seems to as well um, with a lot of with a, with a lot of it, and we're watching in bated breath, mate. What else is happening? Everything's poking along. When, when do the when does the big run start around Blackhorn through there? Will you start to see a few more cattle coming forth now? Yeah, yeah mate, you definitely will. Of uh, your, your, your fat cattle wise, once these short weeks uh, processor wise are, are well and truly behind us, I think you're going to see some fat cattle numbers come out of there. Also, talking to them, the likes of. Uh, Brock Palmer uh, with our with our business up there in Emerald, you know all that Central Queensland it is a very good season. Liam Kirkwood up there at Townsville, like they're expecting those those men and their businesses are expecting good numbers of fat cattle and heavier cattle to start coming through. Uh, you know b- before winter really sets in and then through the winter period. So yeah, mate, watch this space because there has not been genuinely a lot of cattle sold out of those districts uh, so far this year. Um, the tides turned and those numbers will start coming forward, you know, in the next month or so. Yeah, well said. I uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. And as usual, um, very thorough. Go Parramatta against the Bulldogs and we'll see you at Magic Ground, mate. Good on you, mate. All the best. Good on you, Peyton Fitzsimons, uh, National Livestock Manager for Ray White Rural. We'll take a break, come back with more. It's Friday morning, the 14th of April, across rural Queensland today. Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Uh, Associate Professor Lewis Prada e Silva from UQ's Queensland Alliance of Agricultural and Food Innovation joins us this morning. Um, Lewis, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Good morning, Beth. Uh, I love the research that the University of Queensland is doing, and a simple test to select nitrogen efficient cattle is the outcome of years of research now the test uses tail hair samples to identify an animal's ability to recycle nitrogen and this is an absolute unique evolutionary trait and obviously allows ruminants to produce extra protein how exciting is this but when you when you get to a start i don't even know how you begin to even find this stuff out yeah that's that's really interesting I mean, cattle are amazing animals that uh, they don't really need to eat all the protein as we do. Like, if we want to grow muscle, we need to eat a lot of beef. Yep. But they can they can make muscle, they can make milk out of grass because they can make their own protein. So all they need is a little bit of nitrogen. So that's what this research is about. Is some animals are really good at maintaining the nitrogen that they have flowing in the body, and other animals cannot do that. So that's that's how we went about this, is trying to find the animals that are really good at not losing the nitrogen that they have. Yeah, and, and, and that's the interesting part of it. So when you are selecting the animals that are more efficient to using nitrogen, um, it, it obviously increases pro- performance, lower protein diets, drier months they go. But how did you find out? And was there any particular breed that was identified as better or was it more genetically? Well, we've known for a few years that the Brahma breeds, like the Bozindicus breeds, they are more resilient uh, in harsh environments. So they can handle heat stress better. They can they can perform better when they are eating very poor diets. So there there is a breed effect. Yeah. Uh, but you, to any farm you go, 
you you are there doing a muster and you analyze the animals, there's always the head of the group and the tail of the group. So even within a breed, the variation in efficiency is tremendous. You know, it, it's you always have cows that they get pregnant every year, they drop calves every year, and some other cows that struggle a lot during the hard years. So that's that's what we're trying to do more than compare breeds. We're really trying to find uh, efficient animals. And that's the big thing, isn't it? Um, you know, trying to find, you know, the things that the, the most efficient, but the Bosindicus breed is clearly showing you um, the way. Um, when you find this, genetically, how does it, how do you keep those traits? And, and long-term, what's the answer? This study is obviously been funded by MLA, but do you then yeah. start identifying the reproductive performances of these cows or, or these herds? And how do you then commercialise it? Yeah, so uh, what we did was um, it's really hard to measure efficiency in animals. You need to put these animals what we call metabolism crates and collect uh, all the feces and all the urine that the animal is producing. So that's just not something you can do uh, to analyze a large number of animals. So what we did was to find these these uh different nitrogen isotope on the, on the hair of the animals that reflects the amount of uh, urine and feces that the animal is producing. So that creates a, a simple and easy way to identify the more efficient animal. So that is the, that is the, the main outcome of this research. And, and the long-term goal here is to, is to uh, transform this knowledge into a DNA test incorporate that on the test that the producers already do. Yeah. So you get an EBV for nitrogen efficiency. So you send your DNA for analysis and then you receive all the information that you need. So that's the end goal for, for this research. Yeah, it's a very exciting time and there's obviously so many things to continue. Where to now? What's the next bit, Lewis? Well, we're trying to we we're talking to the industry and know there's a lot of interest from the producers to to make this happen, to make this commercial available to them. So that's what we're trying to do now is to see if we, if we find uh, industry partners that want to make this available to the producers. So that's one thing we're trying to develop, and the other one is really uh, finding the DNA markers responsible for for this trait. So the producers don't have to pay an extra test. They can just pay one test and receive all the information that, that they need. Yeah. Uh, the other little bit of uh, information that we need, Ben, is uh, to see if this trait is, is correlated with heat stress uh, resilience. We think it is, but we need to prove that. Well, I think it's just phenomenal. Um, I, I, I think that th- there is such a, um, in a lot of ways, uh unbelievable way forward when you look at that and and that will be taking time obviously looking at conditions and everything like that but this is groundbreaking and the university of queensland um these years of research are going to pay fruition really fascinating chat uh associate professor lewis prada de silva thank you so much for being with us from the uq queensland alliance for agriculture and food innovation i can't wait to see the next step forward thanks so much for being with us yeah, thank you, Dan. Good on you. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network.
That's it on Friday morning, the 14th of April. It's the end of the week. It's been a big week. We are back next week with so much more from 9am. Spotify is where you can catch up on any of the latest episodes and you can also get in contact with me at any time you want. Ben Dobbin at ruralqldtoday.com.au. Have a great weekend. The best of is on tomorrow morning. And remember, when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. We'll be back on Monday. Enjoy your weekend. Stay safe on the roads. Till next time from everybody here. It's bye for now.